out your window, but you're welcome for not being robbed. My name is Matthew Kroll. And oh, 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 stupid adult hands, my name is Shahir Dow. And this is the only podcast about movies, specifically the film Shazam! Ooh, don't do that again, please. Shazam! No, no, just a little bit further away from the Shazam! mic. Shazam! Could you leave the room? Shazam! Like, walk out. Uh, even still too loud. Still too loud. Uh, yes. Hi everyone. Uh, welcome back. Um, <laughs> that's the most. That's the most movement in 208 episodes of this podcast that has ever happened. I think we should turn this into an improv show, like with props and with like, uh, well, not sight gags, <laughs> audio gags, and like a full orchestra orchestral mix. You kind of did that. You can check our Facebook page for the 360 video we did oh, back yeah. in the day. I, you know, we do have another one of those that I just never put out. Yeah, yeah but it's, we do. Uh, it's a little bit too late yeah, now. Yeah, we do. Uh, welcome back. You must be excited. And this is like the second Captain Marvel movie in his, in, in about a month. You are not wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, and I missed the first one, so this, so I get Captain Marvel now. Well, I get, still haven't caught. Up, I still haven't watched Captain Marvel yet. That's kind of nuts. I mean, really? I guess. Well, I guess the they don't in that billion dollars they made. They don't have your money. No. Yeah, it's a billion. Minus fifteen <laughs> for me. Um, no, I haven't. You know, and there's this thing, which is that I have, and it's not purposeful. Like I would, I would totally watch Captain Marvel sure. if it was in front of me. But when you're out of the loop, when you're not in that sort of zone of like, I must go see this to see this thing. I have no enthusiasm to go see that. Movie. I mean, I, I, I don't know what to tell you. I, <laughs> I loved it. I thought the, I no, thought the film I, itself was really, really strong. I'm actually curious to see when you eventually see it. Yeah. Are you going to see it before Endgame? I don't know. Like, like here's the thing. If it was on Netflix right now, I would totally watch it. Mm-hmm. Um, to go to the movies right now seems like a lot of effort. <laughs> seems like a lot of effort for not a ton of reward. The reward is an enjoyable film. And my thing there is that there are just other films I want to see. Like uh, other films I'm more excited to go. If I'm going to go to the movies to pay money to go see movies, you know, like I would, I right now, if you told me Captain Marvel or Pit Symmetry, I would pick Pit Symmetry. Even oh, though I, I, would, don't th- I, I don't think Pit Symmetry is going to be a great movie, I would pick that. I, oh, I just think I think that's silly. Carol Danvers doesn't need your money, Shahir. No, no, yeah. I, if, if I could just give her that extra 15. Well, no, she made it over a billion without me, right? <laughs> yeah, she did. Um, also, has a unicorn movie coming out on Netflix. I want to see it. I, I wasn't too impressed by the trailer. I know you don't watch trailers. I haven't watched the trailer. But, um, but it's... In Captain Marvel, uh, her and Samuel L. Jackson have a very good chemistry with one another, okay. and uh, Samuel L. Jackson's also in this film. Yeah, uh, and so and it seems like something that Brie Larson has kind of wanted to do, like it's her own thing. So like I'm pumped for that. Uh, have you seen Short Term Twelve? No, no. Yeah, you should check out Short Term Twelve. That's where I first saw Brie Larson. I think that's when a lot of people first saw Brie Larson. I and first she's... saw Brie Larson in Scott Pilgrim versus the World. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, no, NB... so you're, you're correct. Yes, yeah. uh, I Adams. don't remember who she. Envy yeah, Adams. Yeah. Which which one is Envy Adams? Envy Adams is the ex girlfriend of Scott, who's in the band uh, Clash at Demon Head, uh, and is dating Brendan Routh. Okay. okay. Uh, dating Evil X number three. Okay. All right. All right. Well, uh, we will come back to Shazam slash AKA Captain Marvel slash. Is it got any other names? In a second? No, no. I mean that's really it. That's it. Okay. Um, but I just wanted to recap a couple of. Uh, I'm going to do a tweet and an email and a text. Ooh. Wow. Dude, a, tr- a trifecta of social media. Yeah, but I'm not going to give out my my number. The the text came from someone who 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 I know personally. So uh, if you'd like to contact you here via text. Yeah, it's five 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 one two three four five six. All right. Seven eight. All right. Uh, what did your text friend say? Uh, okay, we'll go with the text first. Uh, this is from Brandon Ripley, who has actually been on the show before. Yes. He was on our American Honey episode, what and up, buddy? he was just tweeting. Well, he was texting me, uh, and he said, "I was listening on the podcast on us. That is the Jordan Peele film that we reviewed last week, and I think you had a good point about not watching the trailer. I did watch the trailer that gives away the whole plot, and I think that seriously affected how I appreciated the film. I think you're onto something about not watching film trailers. Um, did you just go through your texts and see it where? Whatever one that someone actually agreed with your ideology was. Oh, that's, I mean, that's how I cherry pick <laughs> any argument on this podcast is basically if you agree with me, I will guarantee you, you will be read out on this. On I mean, this. I, I do the same. Yeah. Not, there's no, there's, there's no difference there. No, but there, I think we were, we were, did you end up seeing the full trailer for us? That, yeah. That, well, that, no, I, so I saw the first one. I don't yeah. think I ever saw the okay. second one. You should watch the second one because I think that's the one that Brandon was yeah. talking about. Yeah. Um, it does, and maybe it's a case that one 
once you've seen the film, you realize how much that film that that trailer Maybe. gives away. My my, you know, my other issue with that is that I I think I have a very good uh, visual memory. When I see something, uh, I remember like the sequence of events, and it's probably because I'm an editor as well. So. Uh, I just watched the trailer for Shazam with you, for example, mm -hmm. and I would be frustrated if I saw that trailer and then I went and saw the film because I think what happens is the trailer gives away moments, even if it doesn't give away the full reveals of everything that happens in that moment, I know the sort of building blocks about what's going to happen. So, for example, when something, when the scene begins, I will know, oh, this image will eventually happen. Yes, and that, no, you know, I had a lot of that in Shazam, yeah. um, but I will talk about how in this particular case, and not in all cases, of course, it yeah. did not bother me at all. But, oh, had you seen the trailer before? Yes, I had seen the trailer. Sure, okay. Sure, sure, sure. All right, so that's uh, from Brandon. Yes, uh, uh, as we realize, I am not a trailer watcher. But, that's right. Uh, uh, and I will read a tweet from Shayna, uh, who got at us after our Finding Neverland uh, episode. Uh, she wrote, thank you for tackling a difficult topic with, wow, with grace and empathy. Uh, it's such a powerful documentary, and I'm glad people are talking about it. Well, um, no, thank you for writing in. Uh, that was a... That was a uh, I don't want to say a difficult one to do, an important one to do. Uh, it, it was it was your first one back, <laughs> yeah. Uh, which made it, I think, w w you know. Since we've had the conversation, how has your relationship to Michael Jackson changed? Has it at all, or has it changed? I feel like it's pretty much stuck with. I mean, the relationship since watching the the doc and actually, you know, the whole thing is it hasn't it hasn't lessened or 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 I should say my non relationship hasn't lessened, therefore grown. I I stand by everything I said in the episode. Go back and listen to to the um. To the Finding Neverland. Uh, There's been a little... Not Finding Neverland. Uh, leaving Neverland, leaving which Neverland. is... Uh, I've done that before as well. Um, there has been a little bit of an update uh, uh, about uh, Leaving Neverland, and uh, that is one of... Uh, I think the director, Dan Reed, has jumped in on the conversation about the timing of some of the accusations as well. Uh, I think it comes down to... There's a shot... I don't. This is one of those things, which is I don't think this lessens the impact of the things that the two accusers, Wade Robson and James Safechucks, are saying. But it does. What happens in all these cases, and maybe what happens in American politics right now in general, is that if you can poke a hole in one little part of the story, it's it's enough for some people to say that the whole story is false. And in this case, um, there's been an accusation uh, leveled at, um, I believe it's James Safechuck, saying something. I believe, and again, someone will correct me uh, about the details of this at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at onlymoviepod. Um, but the the accusation there is that. Uh, James Safechuck may have suggested that one of the instances of abuse in that film happened at the train station at the, at the Neverland Ranch, uh, but the date at which he says it um, came before the train station was actually built. And so that was for... <laughs> for Well, no, look, hey, if you can poke a hole in a story, then that, you know, like... And if, and, and if you're... if Here's the thing, and I, I don't think this is a, a an illegitimate approach to uh, rhetoric and argumentation sure. in this case, which is that if you're going to level something at uh, someone, every part of your claim needs to be true. Um, and if it's not, while the majority of your claims might be true, it's enough for people to refute your claims. And that's that's what happens on cross-examination, on courtrooms, and you know, all the time. But I go back to the fact of, sure, but just open your eyes for a moment. Not you, I'm just saying society in general. And look at everything that sort of goes on in, in and around this story throughout its entirety. And a kid who is going through something, uh, a level of abuse that's sort of intense and emotional and confusing that gets a date wrong or perhaps a, a place in the middle of a bunch of stuff. Uh, yeah, I don't care. Um, this is actually a really important part, and it's uh, it's not a topic we've covered. It's it's a topic I've uh, researched in researching a film that I was making. But um, there is quite a um, a strong study about the way memories can be manufactured under duress, mm. um, and children in particular are susceptible to manufacturing memories um, or, or creating memories that may not have happened. Uh, it, it's a very common phenomenon. Um, there's a film, there's a great film, um, I, I believe it's a, a Swedish or Dutch film by uh, Thomas Vinterberg called The Hunt, um, which is really fantastic. It's about uh, an accusation leveled at, a, at, at an adult that may or may not have been manufactured 
accidentally. Um, it is a it is a very um, common phenomenon. I'm not suggesting at all that that is what happened here. Sure. And and I think you know the point. I think we well I made certainly in the Leaving Neverland episode is that I certainly believe Wade Robson and James Safechuck mm-hmm. in this case. I just don't want to discount the uh, the notion, you know, like because what I'm watching is a documentary and not uh, uh, a definitive piece of evidence. I don't want to discount that I could be wrong. I believe them. I believe what they say is true. I believe, and you know, the this idea that the train station thing doesn't seem to poke a hole in it. But I don't want to discount the fact that I could be persuaded by the documentary and could be proven wrong sure it's just in my opinion too and again everyone everyone has opinions they're like that other part of your body uh where you can 100 percent be you've heard the phrase don't Mm. (laughs) opinions are like assholes everybody's got them um the i'm in the same boat as you Mm. i i just i don't even like if i'm basing my entirety of my opinion on you know the obviously the documentary stuff but also, just sort of the logic of situations in and around what was presented, and the amount of people and and sort of the history of it, I can't I can't not think that. Anyway, we go back and listen to that episode. We we won't get into it too much more here. But thank you so much, uh, Shayna, for writing us in. We've got one more email about leaving Neverland that I'll just tack on here. This is from Kennedy. Um, I uh, I think we both asked the question, "What is your relationship to Michael Jackson in terms of uh, his music on that episode?" Uh, and this was an, uh, uh, a wonderful response from Kennedy, who wrote us and say, "I just wanted to respond to your question about listeners. Uh, I am 23, but I grew up uh, with Michael Jackson's music my whole life. My household was pretty much all 70s and 80s music all the time. Madonna, Michael Jackson." and some hair bands that uh some hair bands i'm guessing those are the bit you know like poison yeah and roses that sort of thing kickstart uh, my, my heart yep yeah. so i had a really deep love for michael jackson as a person and his music my mom got me all of his music videos on dvd shirts vinyls 23 year old vinyls there you go Nothing the whole that. nine yards uh i heard about the allegations when i was young but it was easy for me to blow them off and not to believe them but now I can't imagine listening to his music without thinking about the documentary. It makes me really sad, like I lost a huge part of my life. That sounds super dramatic, but I have so many memories attached to his music. Uh, I learned his thriller dance in my living room with a, a friend, so we can still do every move to this day. I also sang Michael's songs at a school talent show and won. So it feels weird to just cut it all off, but I think it's necessary to the victims and their families. Anyway, those are my conflicted thoughts. Uh, love you guys. Love you too, Kennedy. Thank you for yeah, that. thank uh, you. Um, I think... You know, the, this ever-going conversation that we've started with the Art versus Artist uh, episode. Funnily enough, I see a lot of podcasts are doing Art versus Artist now as well. As, well, as sing- well, well, no. <laughs> Yeah, as single episodes. So I, I, no, and I think it's great. Um, I, I think the interesting thing here is that it's easy to reject an artist when you don't like their art. It's much tougher to do it when you love their art mm-hmm. or have a passionate relationship with their yeah. art. Um, and I don't necessarily advocate for completely uh, cutting their art out of your life. I think you can... Uh, this might be the wrong phrase of terminology, and this is ever-evolving uh, train of thought in my brain, but I do believe in some part we can reject the artist and still appreciate the art. Um and I think that's a complicated thing to do. It requires nuance and some and a complexity of thought and an understanding of context. Uh, but I I've, I fundamentally believe at this stage, and I can be proven wrong. I think and I think uh, Michael Jackson was an interesting um, uh, rhetorical uh, um, complex issue for me. Is that you can reject the artist, but still appreciate uh, or acknowledge the art. Um, I mean, I think there's a difference between uh, the, the two words you just used, appreciation and acknowledge. I think the word I was avoiding using was celebrate. Celebrate uh, sure, the but, art. But for instance, appreciating the art... you. Uh, Okay, I mean, you could get into the whole topic of like, what is an art? What is a piece of art without an artist? Like, you, you know, what you what people obviously... And let's just go down to straight up like paintings, right? Yeah. Like when you look at a painting... Nine times out of ten, you're, you try to figure out what the artist was thinking or feeling. Right. So it's hard to appreciate art without appreciating the artist. Right. But acknowledging something is different. Look, no one can argue that Michael Jackson's music isn't good. I um, acknowledge that the the music is good. Right. Uh, I will never appreciate Michael Jackson's music Again, right. um, so again, it's a little bit semantical, and we'll get you know as as you said, it's sort of ever evolving. Um, 
The, Look, we're living we're living in um what what uh what 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 film school Twitter has sort of uh dubbed uh sort of like cancel culture. Yeah. And um you know, is that possible or is it right? You know, I don't know. And I think like what you said, one thing I particularly agree with is it's a, it's a nuanced issue. Hmm. Uh, for me personally, uh, due to my history with Michael Jackson's uh, media and the story and what I've been presented, I can, quote, for myself, cancel Michael Jackson. Hmm. Do I think the world can? No. And I think it's a deeply personal decision that you have to make based on what art you consume and and whom makes it and what issues are important and affect you. And I, I, I don't think that there's a possible, like, like everyone has to do this thing. Like, right. I just don't think that's feasible. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I would, uh, I'm just going to recommend one film as well, which I just, I actually uh, remembered this as I listened to the Velvet Buzzsaw episode that you guys did. And that is a documentary called In the Realms of the Unreal, um, The Art of Henry Darger. Uh, Henry Darger, I think, was the primary influence for Velvet Buzzsaw um, because it was a, he was a janitor uh, whose art, who, when he died, people went into his apartment and found like, screeds upon screeds of art uh, that he had created, including novels, paintings, um, and they were all exhibited and, and and kind of were the foundation of outsider art, which I think Velvet Buzzsaw is kind of really talking about. And then they were painted with blood and they came alive? Not quite, but Damn. they are uh, deeply unsettling pieces of art. Um, the, they involve a, uh, uh, a sort of troop of young girls who get into all sorts of adventures which are deeply unsettling. Yeah. Uh, and, and no one's exactly sure how to read these because... Uh, <laughs> he's dead. He's dead. Uh, Henry Dodger died before any of this art was discovered and uh, there's no evidence that you know the art was a manifestation of real things that he had done, and they're incredibly imaginative, and people love his work. Henry Darger uh, is a you know all of his work is well published now, um, but I think the reason I mention it in relation to this art versus artist question is I think that that is a it's a fascinating thing, which is that art isn't the artist. You know, uh, art can be an extension of of the internal mind in in very different ways. Ah. Um, you know, like if you. If you, for example, equated Stanley Kubrick to A Clockwork Orange or Anthony Burgess to the world of A Clockwork Orange, you would equate them as violent, um, narcissistic people. But that's not necessarily what they were trying to do, and that's not necessarily who they, who they are. So I think, again, I think this is a very complex, nuanced issue, and I, and I think the best way to do it, uh, to approach this topic, is to look at it on a very individual case-by-case basis. I agree with what you said, which is that you can you have to make choices for yourself. Yeah. Um and those the, choices may not reflect what other people around you are doing. In the case of the artist you just brought up, um Henry Darger. Yeah. His, his artwork is well, incredible. This is, this is the thing. I, I would argue still even just based off the thing and I don't know anything about it other than what you just said. I would still argue that it's it's still isn't possible though though we don't know who the man was or people don't know who the man was. All people want to do is figure out who the man was. Like, so it's 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 that weird sort of sweet spot of like uh, ignorance being bliss because you can still you're still in a nebulous form of either both appreciation or, and acknowledgement yeah. because you can't you you physically can't and that's like the sweet spot of like having your cake and eating it too when you physically don't know. Well, the, and then there's the postmodernist arguments about the death of the you know the Roland Barthes articles the the death of the author yeah. and the idea that the author authorial intent doesn't matter. Um, in in uh, examining art, this is uh sorry I've, t I've taken us down a real rabbit hole. I, yeah. I, if anything, Didn't that... we, weren't we supposed to talk about a fourteen year old kid that turns into a Zachary Levi? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, sorry, this is what I do. Um, at any rate, I think uh, thank you again, Kennedy, for that email. Uh, thank you also to uh, uh to Shana and Bren for, for was, you, you went on a you went on a ride in your mind. You know what it was? Is my stupid adult hands couldn't swipe <laughs> up on my mouse pad <laughs> enough to see it. Uh, but thank you all of those people for uh, emailing us in. Uh, we love getting those emails in. So please email us in at onlymoviepodcast at gmail .com or hit us up on Twitter at onlymoviepod and also hit us up on iTunes with the iTunes reviews, which are really helpful. You can use. You can use your sparkle fingers yourself to give us five stars. Yeah. Um, what was the song that Shazam sings? Uh, I got light, no, lightning. Uh, what was he singing? What was he making a riff oh, on? Oh, I'll lightning think of it hands? by the end. I'll think lightning of it by the end. Lightning hands. I don't know. Uh, was it hands, 
Lightning hands, lightning hands, lightning hands. And we're back to Shazam. Uh, Shahir, you didn't, uh, and I, to be honest, I probably had a little bit of history, but you had zero, like zero connection whatsoever to this character. I feel like I have seen Shazam when I was a little kid in cartoons somewhere or probably in comic books. But, you know, this whole Billy Batson mythology, how Shazam came to be Shazam, uh, in my mind, Shazam was basically the um, the precedent or the antecedent to, to Superman in some way. He was just sort of a different version of Superman. But I knew nothing about him. So if you can, if you have more of a more knowledge of this topic, please I mean, fill me in. Those are the joke you said in the beginning of the, the episode is very accurate. Uh, originally... And this is, and I'm gonna get the dates and stuff wrong. I don't think it's too important, but like the different companies before they were Marvel and DC, um, a company made a, a superhero called Captain Marvel, which is a very origin story, very similar to this. A kid finds a wizard, finds a magic word, mm -hmm. becomes a superhero that's super powerful. Yeah. Uh, in fact, the the they made a movie out of it, and I was just reading how it was actually the first superhero film, even predating the uh, Superman cartoon by six months. Well, there you go. Um, so. So it's been around for a while, but then as companies changed hands and properties moved around, um, so Captain Mar uh, Marvel Comics became Marvel Comics and made their own Captain Marvel, and they said that, okay, listen, you can still call your character Captain Marvel, but you can't advertise it like Captain Mar like you can't put Captain Marvel on the cover. Okay. And so they changed the name of the comic book to Shazam, which is the word he said, which okay. stands for and I didn't even know this. Yeah. Uh, and they and they say this, the wizard in the movie says this. It stands for like ancient heroes and gods that sort of so it's Solomon, Hercules, Atlas, Zeus, Achilles, and Mercury, and that's what spells Shazam. I didn't know that. I was like, that's pretty fun. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but because it does sound like a name that you would think of if you were slightly high and just trying to think of a superhero name, and that was the first thing you wrote down. And then just find gods <laughs> that tie into it. Yeah. Um, but the then finally, um, DC, I think, I think during their new 52 phase back in like, 20, 20, uh, like uh, 2006, 2007, um, redid all of their comics, and they just renamed the character to Shazam. Okay. Um, and so he was he he was Captain Marvel. Until he was Captain Marvel for a while, and I, I I might be getting my dates wrong, but I think it was sort of like in limbo for a bit. Like there's there's multiple spans of like tens or fifteen years where uh, Captain Marvel on this side or Shazam comics just weren't printed. Um, no, you're right, As, and I'm just doing a quick wiki search right now. But uh, you're the uh, he was renamed to Shazam uh, in 2011. Mm, okay. Yeah, I, I I forget when New Fifty Two happened, but yeah. Um, so yeah, so, so but did you did you read Shazam? Did you know anything about? Shazam? I'd only seen Shazam in um, Justice League Unlimited. I okay. think at that point, yeah. um, always kind of an antithesis of Superman, but yeah. the it's the it's the Superman story of Superman was a kid, like, right, and right. that's that's a it's an interesting enough twist. Yeah. Um, and uh, again, I don't know. If I would be apparently not because I didn't read them, but I wouldn't be really that interested in this comic if it was just a solo comic with Shazam. But I think much like Superman, um, characters like this are the best when they are paired with interesting people. Right. Um, and that's something that I think the film manages to do um, sometimes. Yeah. Um, I don't know what were your what were your first thoughts of of Shazam? We just walked out of the theater of when yeah. the movie was finished. Uh, we just walked out of the theater. I, I have to say, I I I kind of wanted to take a little bit of a backseat on this on this one because um, I am how how do I feel about okay? So let me let me tackle negatively. This, no, let me let me tackle this about uh, in three different roundabout ways before I get to the actual meat Ooh. of what I want to say. Okay, so the first thing I want to do is I want to just look at this as a film on itself. I don't know anything about Shazam. I don't know anything about uh, the property or anything like that. I just want to see if I would just enjoy this film yeah. on its own merits, you know, just walking in blind. Didn't watch the trailer. I'm going to write down blind enjoyment, and we're going to put a check or an X next to it. Right now, blind enjoyment for me personally was kind of uh, a half check. Uh, so a line? Yeah, kind of a line, like neither positive nor negative. Like in in, in so much as I didn't think this was uh, a bad time at the movies. How did you uh, how did you break my system instantly? <laughs> instantly, that's what I do. It's <laughs> nuance and complexity. That's what I do. Uh, I if you if you tell me there's a lift and a right, I'm gonna go straight down the middle. Oh, um, okay. But <laughs> so in terms of blind enjoyment, here's here's what I think. I 
I think the movie really kicks into high gear once Zachary Levy, Levy turns up. Is as it Levy or Levi? I never get it right. I, I'm not too sure. Uh, I love him. He's I, I, he's one of my, honestly... What was the spy show he was in? Oh, uh, Chuck. Chuck, that's right, yeah. He's one of my favorite actors uh, that can pull off almost anything. That, I'm sorry to interrupt, but just no, while, no, while we're on the topic. Um, he was just in Marvelous Miss Maisel yeah. as a very interesting character in my opinion yeah uh some a, a shot of lifeblood that like uh, that shows great but like it was a different feeling and a different vibe of a character the rest of the characters all feel like they've been written by the same person and his sort of felt i don't know different right um i've loved everything he's done his his side projects that he's done um what are the side projects that he, he has like he has a couple different sort of like um i'm trying to remember the names of them I'll look it up by the end. He has a couple different, um, like almost like I'll call them like nerd companies, a la the Nerdist or stuff like that. That okay. he sort of runs and does cool animation projects. And he, I don't know, he's just always seemed like a really. He seems delightful. Yeah, <laughs> he seems he, like a delightful person. He seems like he loves the role that he's in yeah. and changes himself just enough to get roles that he would also be interested in. Okay. Um and I don't know, he just seems like a super cool dude and I've I've well I've never met him personally. I've I know two people that have met him and worked with him mm. and they say he's a GD delight. Mm. So that's great. Yeah. And I wish him nothing but the best. So I was psyched when they cast him for this because yeah. if you're going to cast big tall superhero dude that has the energy of a child. Yeah. <laughs> Boom. Yeah, it's a, it's a very young Tom Hanksian role because, uh, of course, it's riffing on um, the, the the famous Tom Hanks film, Big. Um, I, and so, on the one hand, I appreciated how much time this movie put into setting up its lore and its mythology up front. I have to say, I found that lore and mythology pretty dull and unconvincing right. and 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 kind of tedious uh tedious in the way that nothing was particularly surprising or engaging about that lore and mythology zachary levy levy it is okay. levy okay there you go um so I found all of that lore, you know, it's basically the mythology of how Dr. Zavinda came about. Oh, or... no, sorry, it's Levi. I'm reading like nine <laughs> different things. I'm so sorry. I was. It said like, it said Levi, and I was like, oh, cool. Then it said, wait, Levi like the jeans. So cool. It's Levi. Okay. Sorry, Zach. I, I'm terrible. Okay. Um. So I, uh, I enjoyed... I enjoyed the fact that the film was taking a lot of time to set up the character and to set up the world before that character arrived. Um, I did find all of that stuff to be sort of almost in a different tone of film than the film that eventually occurred when uh -huh. Zachary Levi, uh, Levi whatever, turned, <laughs> when Shazam eventually turns up. That's when the film kind of turns into comedy and turns into kind of a fun comedy, you know, like, a, you know, I kind of liked it. But my biggest issue th with that was that the actor who played Billy Batson when he was young, even the character writing for Billy Batson when he was young, didn't feel like it lined up with the character that Zachary Levi was when he was mm. older. I felt they were like two to... The, the, the Billy Batson as a kid seemed very weighed down by the trauma of having been abandoned as a kid. The Zachary Levi character of Shazam felt very much... Um, in line with uh, Freddy, you know, like the the sort of fun, uh, goofy teenage character who's like, you know, knowing about, who's kind of had this sort of fun self-awareness. And I felt that those two characters never quite lined up in a way that made that connection make sense. Um, and that for me was, I, I wondered if that was sort of a, a, a character trait that was true to to who these characters were, but I didn't. I, I don't think it was because the film never made comment about how they were meant to be different people. I actually thought they linked up okay. Really? Uh, you, didn't, you didn't. Just 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 hear me out here. The thing here was that the film that that Billy Batson's the, the Asher Angel character yep. kind of felt like it was a drama, right? Like a fairly dour. You know, like he was traumatized. He was trying to find his way back to his mother. You know, whenever Freddie was talking to him, he was always the straight guy kind of thing. And then as soon as he snapped into Shazam, he was goofy, fun-loving, you know, like bang, bada-bing, you know, There's one two things. There's yeah. two things there. Mm. Uh, one, there's multiple times where he's also that way when he's a kid. One, when, I'm going to list them. One, yeah. when he was uh, in the beginning, these are minor spoilers in the first <laughs> ten minutes, when he messes with the cops and steals the lunch and he does something, he's a sort of quirky thing there, mm. whatever. The other one being when he's finally meeting the wizard and like there's like laughing Laughing and joking, it feels like, like it's what? one line though, right? Like no, I mean, look, I think that uh, throughout the 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 weight of the emotional story, uh, mm -hmm. however much there is, mm -hmm. is when he is younger, when yeah. he's when he's a kid. Yeah. But also, I saw the same energy in certain moments that I mean, granted, uh, Zachary mm -hmm. jacks it up. I think as to be honest. 
I feel like any kid who instantly gets basically a superhero mech suit, for lack of a better term, would be like, like it would be hard to be dour when that is the case. For example, just take take Big, you know, the Tom Hanks film. The kid in Big kind of like when Tom Hanks, you know, when 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 he turns into Tom Hanks, I still feel like that's the kid. You know, like in Tom Hanks's body, and in this case, I felt like this was a different character. And that never, I, I have some things that bother me in this movie. That wasn't one of them. Okay, so that 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 it it, I I don't again. This is that sort of middle of the road thing, which is that it didn't destroy the the film going experience for me. I just thought it was sort of a, a sort of unusually missed opportunity to have those two characters line up in a way that was sort of interesting, uh, or even just even just felt like they line up, like they didn't quite line up for mm-hmm. me. Um, uh, I think the the film kind of plays with this idea of creating a functional new family, which is sort of the sort of foundational principle of things like Guardians of the Galaxy and what have you. Um, and it 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 sort of it 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 dances around this idea, and it and it and it kind of you know like ties into it, but it doesn't really, for me, make that emotionally resonant in a way that would make the film kind of elevated beyond just like, oh, there's a couple of really cool ideas in here. I would argue, not the term dances around, because that, that sounds almost too elegant. I would say it stomps you in the face with it. Right. Um, it, it's, not, it, it's not nuanced. Yeah. Um, and look, I'll be honest, there was one or two moments where I got an emotional pang in this movie, um, but they were immediately undercut by a weird edit choice or a line that felt out of place or whatever. So like, it never let me have that moment of like things that I find say in like the Avengers films where like I go on an emotional ride. Here yeah. I get sort of hit with like a pang or two of emotions here, there, sadness uh, uh, or or joy or whatever. Um, but it's not something. It's not a smooth ride. I'll get jostled out by something else. And I, I wonder if this is, has to do with like the DC universe trying to reconfigure itself after the Batman v Superman Justice League kind of thing, where they're where they're where they're trying to. They still feel like they're trying to find the balance of like. What what are these movies? You know, like I haven't seen Aquaman at this point, um, which is the only one I yeah, think same. I've missed. Um, but you know, like I I think this is a re you know again a sort of a recalibration where they're they're going okay we're not quite those movies we're not quite uh, Spider Man you know uh, uh, Homecoming which is far more comedic um, we're sort of somewhere we're trying to calibrate this into something here's the thing i i would say a they've already found their tone with wonder woman they should stick with that uh b they uh i'd say the 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 I'm not going to say the quality of comedy. I will say the amount of comedy is about the same in Spider-Man Homecoming. Like, this is DC's Spider-Man in a weird way. I I would say, although I found Spider-Man to be much more engaging on a comedic level. And and, and Thor Ragnarok, for example, as well. Uh, I just think that, for instance, and I think that just comes down to film craft. I, I don't. I don't think that has to do with the universes anymore. Like we're we're just out of the grim dark Snyderverse. Like we get it that that's sort of not the the norm anymore. Um, the, the what what Shazam where Shazam falters for me mm-hmm. is. Uh, and I, I don't know if it's the editing or the or the actual directing of the scenes or maybe some of the the writing itself because I think when when two characters, for instance, when um, when uh, Zach and um, who plays Freddie, uh, Jack Dylan uh, Grazer, when they're sort of together, yeah, uh, as uh, Shazam and and Freddie, yeah, uh, it's a it's a magical chemistry that felt like almost a little bit ad libby, even if it wasn't. Like it yeah. felt natural, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Sometimes when you had some of the other foster kids uh, together, mm-hmm. it felt the same way. Yeah. Um, with sort of big shout outs to uh, the adorable uh, I got to find her name the the actress who played the really young uh, daughter Darla Faith, uh, uh, Faith Herman. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, just there there were moments where it were like it really panged you, but then like the older daughter. Everything with her, I kind of felt like it. That felt like Disney, like uh, Disney Family Afternoons. Like it just felt very. I, I wouldn't use the phrase Disney just because it's not. It, this is the you know they're trying to figure out where this was in relation to Disney. No, no, no. Right. But I'm saying like uh, you ever watch ABC Family or like any right. of those sort of like mm. any any scene with her felt very like. Yeah. Gonna solve this in a half hour, full house sort of yeah. sort of thing. Uh, same with the parents, whom the actors I love them as well. I, yeah. I think you know. So it might be the writing, but then there were also parts mm. that. Um, it's funny when when you don't have a flow that lets you. I'll even use the analogy of like a film, and then let's not bring this to Aquaman. Is a bit like surfing. Okay. Uh, 
you have to be able to not only get up on the board but stay on the board. Yeah. And you're going to have a better time and feel sort of like like you're literally riding a wave or like or riding a sort of flow of energy of a story if you're not constantly being hit or there's things sort of like in your way as you're doing it. Right. Um case in point, I thought the very beginning of the film when dealing with um what's his name? Uh Thaddeus's sort of backstory, the villain. Right. Um, was interesting, but was shot and constructed poorly. Um, and so, by and that I mean, so for instance, uh, there's a scene where Thaddeus is a child, and his and his uh, his brother and father are kind of oh, being yeah. dicks to him in the car. And I'm like, this is shot like a one-two thing. The lines like is so mustache mustache twirly Twirl, yeah. and dumb, and I don't give a shit about anyone. And then he gets summoned by the wizard, and then almost gets corrupted, and then goes back and like freaks out. And then the car almost swerves, whatever, blah blah blah. Right. So then, a second car comes out of nowhere that was not in conjunction with anything, even though it makes zero sense because it was lit enough, the thing, whatever. The car goes flipping on its side. The car that they were in flips and rolls on its side because it got T-boned and rolls. Right. It lands right side up, yeah. but then the father is thrown through the windshield from a 90-degree angle, not the angle that the car hit. Yeah. And the second that I noticed all of those things and the fact that the filmmakers didn't care about that sort of continuity, yeah. I was like... Oh, this is going to be all over this thing. Yeah, yeah. And those are the things where I know it seems small and petty, yeah. but when you add them all up, it's the things that get a, get in the way of riding the wave of emotional enjoyment for me. The 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 thing there. I mean, I kind of I, I'm fairly forgiving of continuity and um, you know logic issues in films. I, I'm kind of fairly forgiving of of those kinds, like mechanical logic. Uh, what I not wasn't in an action movie though. What I'm not forgiving of is the the fact that the brother turns around in that scene and says, "This is your fault." You know, this is this bad is bad writing. It's it's just it's foreshadowing bad writing. We know exactly. There's no subtext to the scene. It's all text, um, and that and you know and that's the problem is that it's all basically saying, "Hey, this is the bad guy, and this is who he's going to be, and this is why he's the bad guy." There's no subtext to the scene, and I think that's what you know that's what kind of drives me a little like. In this case, I think maybe I've just to the point where again I don't think it's terrible. It's not like the worst sub you know like subtextless scenes I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. It's just so so. You know what I mean? It's uh, it's well, it's, it's painfully average. It's yeah. like that's kind of what it like. Yeah. You you get it instantly. It's batting for the cheap seats and it hits it. Yeah. Um. But there's a level like again. You're making, no matter what they're saying they're doing or what sort of what it is, it seems like they're making an action comedy or right. a comedy action, whatever you want to do. Yeah, yeah. And the second you don't trust in your own action sequences to be like consistent with the physicality of where things should be, yeah. that also probably means you don't particularly care about, oh, I don't know, maybe a sister knowing that the seven sins are a thing when they give the speech about what has to happen to get the bad guy at the end when the sister's never been informed of that. Right. Like little when when you start letting little things like one or two little things go, like threads go bare in in the structure of your story and yeah. the way your story is being presented. Yeah. That that's the stuff that gets me off your train. So, and and here's the thing that I think um, sort of it doesn't drive me nuts, but I kind of feel like one of the things that these films tend to do, or these types of films tend to do, is they 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 want to pull in all the intricacies of the mythology. So they want to do the story of Thaddeus up front. They want to do the story of um, Billy losing his mother so that they can pay that off later. And they want to do the story of like sitting up uh, Billy and his, and his group home family and, and that relationship as well. So they're doing a lot of kind of different things. To me, the film would work best if we were just in the group home to begin with. You know, like if the film was just about him coming to this group home and kind of sitting up there and then getting spending time spending all that time that they did with those all those other stories and just building up those relationships in a sincere and honest way that can also be funny and entertaining and you know and charming and all those things then i think all the little payoffs later would be more fun you know like we would we would have more fun because because ultimately the film's major payoff is that the entire f and this is a spoiler? We're for getting me. into spoilers. What are we? We're yeah. About, yeah, we're yeah. in. Spoiler yeah, yeah. time. So the, so the big spoiler for for Shazam is that towards the end of the film, 
uh, the all the children in the group home become Shazam wizards or whatever they are. Um, and I think that I actually kind of like that payoff. I, I loved that. I, I think it's great. I didn't see it coming. Um, yeah, and yeah, I didn't see that coming. I didn't know that was going to happen, and I think it was great. But I was like, wow, wouldn't this have been a really cool thing if I really cared about every single one of these characters and their interrelationship with? Billy and this idea that this film is about this family coming together and the reformation of that. You know, I think it's it's kind of all sort of on the surface there, but there's no subtext to it. There's no, and the problem with having no subtext is that there feels like there's a lack of sincerity to that to that level of storytelling. Um, and that's you know, and that again, it splits the film down the middle for me, which is that I think it's it's sort of. Can you speak a little bit more to your term lack of sincerity in storytelling? Because I think you're saying a similar thing to me, but I wouldn't use those words, and I want to know why you... So when I say lack of sincerity, what I mean there is that... And I, I think what I mean is sincerity means that there's an they are digging for a truthfulness to those scenes. And, and you know, the... the it doesn't mean that it's drama. It means that it can be comedy. Yeah, you know, yeah. It can be. It can be fun. It can be light and that sort of thing. But the but scene it, is in the scene. Yeah. But like but the, the but the underlying there's an underlying truth to it, and there's an underlying sense that that is what the film is like driving towards. What it makes the w- without that sort of sense of sincerity is it makes the feel, film feel somewhat thematically bereft. You know, like there there isn't a a clear strong sense of thematic resonance and I'll, I'll point to a, a counter example that I just rewatched um, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse right. and that has got a clear strong sense you know like every scene with the family feels clear and there's subtext to it and we understand the dynamics of it and the film kind of lands towards this idea is that anyone can be Spider-Man mm-hmm. and it feels sincere and true even though it's fun and entertaining sure. and I think that's the problem is that that this feels like it just has somewhat of a lack of sincerity to that to making that storyline work. The the, the storyline you're discussing too is is the sort of the finding your family. You can find your own family. You're not like you don't have to be born into one. I think right? Guardi- you know Guardians of the Galaxy yep. is a really good example of where there's a sincerity to the actual theme of what that film is about, yeah. um, and it plays it well. So maybe then there's. I mean, I, I agree with that. That this is sort of lacking, and I think I latched on to the things that I had said sort of before about mm-hmm. the the small pieces that sort of knocked me off. Mm-hmm. But then I also think. If there, if in films like Guardians of the Galaxy, for instance, uh, because the th- and, and into the Spider Verse, the th- the the thematic the, the theme is so strong and, and it is and it is clear and it is and it is present and you understand it entirely. Maybe there are one or two moments of missteppings that I found uh, jarring in Shazam, but again, because the wave itself is so smooth, you don't notice the rocks underneath depending it's it's a quality product but it's uh, it's whether that product has kind of like uh high fructose corn syrup yeah yeah it's it's uh, a, it's, it's a quality product like and i don't I, okay this is uh, this is the weird so when we were watching it we yeah. were watching shazam i never this is, I, I mean I'll, I, this is almost a counterdicting of itself i never was bored yeah but i also was like Huh, I wonder when this is going to end. Yeah, yeah. I, I was never like, in the movie. I never want. I, I was not like, oh, I want to get out of here. Yeah. But I'm like, oh, this seems like an ending. Yeah. Oh, it's still. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, no, this is the end. This has to be. Yeah. Oh. Oh, they all are Shazam. No. Oh. <laughs> oh, this is the end. Oh, like it was. It was a lot of that. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, the you know the the worst case example I've ever had of that feeling, uh, which is which is certainly not. Exactly the case that I had in this movie is uh, when I went to see Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. That's a film where I was just like, I was never, I was never in the movie. I was always sitting on the outside watching and going, <laughs> "How is this movie happening?" Um, and and that that I think is the worst case scenario of this. The best case scenario is when you're in something like Into the Spider Verse, where you're like always just in the movie. You know, you're like you don't care when it's ending. You're just kind of like. I'm just in it. And this is sort of somewhere in the middle where, again, I was never, I was like you, never in this movie. I was never engaged enough to really care about where the movie was going. It was just kind of happening in front of me. Everything sort of felt a little too. Uh, like it was a movie that should have made in the early 2000s. Yeah, it felt in in that respect. Like, and and tone, like, I'm not talking, like, uh, there's a lot of, um, you know, I think the diversity in the film is great. I think um, that. Many characters, when they're sort of having their smaller moments, did great. But like, 
everything, every sort of um, antithesis in the film, be it the two bullies who hit the um, the kid with the crutch with their truck and then like beat him up, right? Like that felt straight out of the eighties or nineties. Yeah, and I was like, that's not how the. I mean, granted, the movie had other, but like the movie set up the world about the superhero stuff to be believable in the context of what it was going on. To me, those things, like the the bulk and skull esque bullshit that was going on with the bullies, felt the weirdest and out of place to me. Yeah, you know, it's. A, I think I I said the same thing about um, it when it came out. You know, the Stephen King adaptation yeah. last year, which is like this sort of idea of bullies almost being murderous. You know, like with when they just appear on screen for the first time, feels very much like an '80s trope that like has no that doesn't quite ring true anymore. They literally kick Freddy in the ribs like four times. And they I'm also like, run him over with a car like at the beginning of the movie. I'm like, how are these fucks still like? Who's laughing and think like what? And and how are they not in juvie at this point? Like, yeah. and the film doesn't it doesn't do enough to build up like sort of the the caricature of the world to make that believable, you know, like to make that sort of uh, plausible. And that's that problem, which is that if you're not in the movie, you're not in the movie. Yeah. You're not with with these decisions. I will say, I do think uh, the the actor who plays Freddy is wonderful. Yes. And I think, the, like you said, the relationship between Fr- Freddy and Billy as Shazam, I think is really terrific. I, I feel like it's a it's a different relationship when he's Billy the Kid. There you oh. go. There you go. Um, you can have that one for free. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but I, what, one thing I kind of wanted to point out, uh, just or just talk about very briefly, is uh, the director. Okay. At this point, David Sandberg. Um, the, uh, the the only reason I was kind of curious to see this film was because of David Sandberg. Now, David Sandberg, um, it, for feature film watchers, has only uh, he's made Annabelle Creations and a film called Lights Out. And Lights Out is a film I haven't seen yet, but I was very intrigued by because it's based off a short film that he made. Um, and David Sandberg was one of these YouTubers that made a bunch of short films on YouTube that, like, in terms of virality, went big. Right. Um, I think Lights Out, I don't know how many millions of views that is, but it was like, there was, there was like a solid year where I got sent that film, like, at least four times. Right. And, and what was wonderful about him and, and the way that film was made, if you haven't seen it, Lights Out is like a five-minute short horror film. He's also made like little 60-second horror films uh, on YouTube. Is that they were, you know, they were all made completely on the cheap, but you saw the sense of like, here's a filmmaker that knows how to play with an audience. There you go. And and he, you know, from the off the basis of those short films, he was invited to Hollywood. Uh, basically, James Wan uh, and uh, Blumhouse uh, said, hey, why don't you do Annabelle Creations? So he got this jump into feature films. Again, from doing these like, he didn't even do the classic filmmaker go to film festivals kind of thing. He they was just like grabbed him right off YouTube. You know, kind of he's a YouTube filmmaker. There we uh, go, baby, uh, and straight into the feature film world. Oh, he did. You know, he did an adaptation of his of his short first Lights Out, and then Annabelle Creations, and then into this bigger film. And I think I, you know, like again for the most part, um, other than the lack of of sort of clear thematic sincerity and the thing that thematic sincerity kind of points to to me as well is like a clear sense of voice for the film the film doesn't like have that real strong sense of voice and that makes it feel somewhat like a product um a fairly you know enjoyable it's not offensively bad it's kind of you know it it, i I, middle of the road for me not not hating on the film but not like loving it um i think i think it kind of works but it was like you just kind of hope that someone who gets swept up into this world like this can kind of give it a voice. And I think, you know, a couple of you know interesting examples, I think is Taika Waititi in, in Thor Ragnarok, which is like, he's not giving it like the most important voice, but he's giving it, it's clear that this is a filmmaker who's sure. made this film. You know what I mean? Well, it's hard to jump from... It's I mean, your, your voice, your, if your voice is a horror and you're like, hey, be the 15 year old superhero kid movie. And you're like, cool. Like, well, it's just it's just it's just, you know, what what it is, is I've seen this filmmaker wield little cameras and little machinery into something unique. And the tricky thing for a filmmaker like him is like, can you now wield this multi-million dollar machine you know, into your voice? You know what's interesting? Now that you're sort of we're talking about his career and sort of the horror things, stuff like that, there are small moments in this film when when the dark the the, yeah. the horror stuff happens yeah. that really work. In particular, um shots and movements with the magic doors. Yeah. 
Um, there, there was one moment that like there was like a turn and a camera moved around and a door like there's magic doors and they go different places, whatever. Um, and it had a real uneasy, fucking cool as shit like look and vibe to it and yeah. i was like damn yeah and th- but then i looked at like for instance the seven deadly sins who are part of um thaddeus's crew and like the character designs for those felt uninspired yeah it was it was, um, like, it was hard to distinguish between them, they felt think. like they felt like less interesting doom monsters yeah um and like look they were you know gluttony opened up big and was a mouth and like there's a moment in the film where he's like describing them yeah. and you're like i don't know who which one is which apart from gluttony which is the fat one yeah and then when he says like lust, who I think was going to be way hotter, I was like, I don't know which one. That I looks no like. clue. Yeah, um, that's the thing. I I had no idea. Like, w- if you're going to set up something like that, like, look, and I I love um, Mark Strong. Yeah, uh, Mark Strong. He chews scenery and everything, and I love him to death. He can do bad guy like like yeah. very few people can. Yeah, <laughs> and um, and he does fine with this. Yeah. Um, but like, how cool would it have been to have the the seven deadly sins have a little personality? Yeah, and and if you saw like each of those personalities kind of play out, you know, like in through him in some way. Perfect example. And I know it'd be a little bit late in the film, but yeah. like when they're all splintered off and they're fighting all the Shazams, yeah. the family family Shazams. Um, it would be cool if like there were, you know, he maybe the director went back to his horror movie tropes and like they were attacking or messing with the Shazams in ways that were congru or you know consistent with their trope. Yeah, like with, it, yeah, like if lust, uh, maybe lust with the kids might be difficult. That'd be but hard, like, but I'd say like you know wrath or yeah. greed. You know, you know what would make sense, for example, is uh, the character who's played. And again, th- we're doing that thing with, uh, which I say we shouldn't do, but we always do, which is which is fine. Um, you know, which is like talking about the movie we want versus the movie we saw. Um, but there was the <laughs> the uh, the son. Uh, I can't remember his name, but he's basically he's the one who's trying to get swole. Um, but he's obviously got uh, he's a uh, uh, yeah. played by Pedro, uh, Pedro Pena, um, and you know, like he's obviously got. I don't want to do body shaming, but he's obviously got a weight issue or something like that, 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 you know, like is counterintuitive to who he becomes later. Shazam kind of becomes like this big muscular version. He points out, you know, check out these guns. It would be interesting if gluttony was kind of combating him. And, you know, there was sort of like a, you know, like you said, a connection between those two things that made sloth sense. for the kid who was obsessed or, with gaming. Sloth, yeah, no, no, yeah. sloth could be like, for instance, like you're not moving forward. Like there's lots of ways you can play. The seven deadly sins are like, you, I mean, look at, I mean, with beyond seven, seven. Yeah. but like you can do stuff with like yeah. that's easily character baked in that you don't need to you just you just need to play with the theme. Yeah, like you're not creating a thing. Yeah, yeah. you're just doing a very primal thing. You're doing storytelling. Yeah. Oh yeah, that thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so there's that. Let Let's um, as we're sort of going yeah, yeah. through here, uh, the last thing I wanted to go back to was the discussion of trailers. Okay. Um, and so this movie falls into a very particular uh, style or or grouping of film where you are 100% right. I knew what was going to happen with the bus. Yeah. I knew that he was going to jump off the roof and have that cool shot and fly away. Yeah. I knew that he trained and he had all that, like, the I've seen the funny parts in the movie, et cetera. Yeah. Here, and this is going to be a two, it's going to, I'm going to backtrack a little bit, but here I didn't care. Right. Because, because truth be told, yeah. in these kinds of movies, we know no one on the bus is going to die. Yeah. We know you know that that um that the, like these these moments that we're seeing are sort of baked into the, sort of the culture of it. And so I didn't particularly care. I knew that Mark Strong was the villain. I had no idea in the trailer what his story was. Now granted, mm-hmm. it's not a great story, but it wasn't spoiled for me. Yeah. The plot of Shazam was not spoiled for me. Was the plot of Shazam great? No. Yeah. But the trailer didn't ruin that. Right. Um, now, that's not to say, again, I, I've, I've mentioned this before, and I will mention it many times again. Terminator 2 is the ultimate problem in trailer things from way back in the day right. when they revealed in the trailer that Arnold was actually good. That would have been such an amazing moment in the theater for people to be like, oh! Yeah. You know, and and what I liked about this, and it, it uh, you know, I could picture maybe a lesser trailer company doing this, but like they didn't ruin the multiple Shazams. Like that was something again in, in a very formulaic film, which this kind of is. That was a moment of actual surprise for me. So I think what you're talking about there is is a feeling I have sometimes, which is that yeah, I tr- I tend to avoid trailers, or I'll just watch like 30 seconds of a trailer or something like that just to get the flavor flavor of it. Um, but if it's a film that I'm not really that keen to see, and I kind of know intrinsically that I'm not going to go watch it. 
I don't mind watching the trailer. But the reason I do that is that I go, well, the trailer is probably going to give me all I need to get out of this movie anyway. So I'll just watch the trailer and then I won't need to see the movie. And I can, I can totally see that. That, um, that. That's kind of where I... Um, like, the reason... I didn't watch the trailer for this is that I knew you wanted to see this movie for for the podcast. Right. So so but if but but to be honest with you, if this movie had come and gone and you know we hadn't been doing it and like maybe 2 months from now, I would probably go I'll just watch the trailer and I'll kind of get what I need to get out of this movie. And you know what I like about and I feel like trailer companies for these styles of films are a little bit learning. Like mm-hmm. I, again, I want to go back to the bus. We yeah. see he shoots the lightning, he hits the bus and he, there's the whole line of like you almost killed those people and then bus and whatever, but I caught it. Yeah. Like that's the whole joke. Yeah. But there's also great moments between it, particularly and it was a throwaway joke, but I liked it. Like big dramatic catch and then he has to put the bus down and, and there's, there's just a dog. A dog yeah. There. And I was like like I loved that that wasn't in the trailer. They always had a small thing. Something I admire Marvel trailers for incredibly, especially in this like real hyper like don't spoil anything for Endgame sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, they purposely put in scenes and put characters in spots that they won't be. Right, and that's a great tool because you get the sort of feel like case in point. Uh, well, actually, I don't want to ruin it because no, you haven't watched I haven't watched any trailers for Endgame. But there's a moment in in one of the last Endgame trailers. Yeah. where I was like. Oh, I'm surprised they showed that. Yeah. But I'm like, but it was a moment that I was like, well, I knew this moment was going to happen, so I don't care. Right. They never do a thing where they show me something where I'm like, oh. I, you know, I just, for you, I would have loved it if we could have made a bit or something like that or some kind of deal where you didn't watch any trailers for Endgame. Because I, I really genuinely think you would, when you watched Endgame, you would have such a great experience. I'm gonna have a great experience anyway. No, no, but I, but you know what I mean. Like, like if you didn't know anything about Endgame, and if you just walked in and go, I, you know, like let let sure. every moment happen to me Listen. as it's gonna happen. I just think I I just think you would have you in particular would have such a great experience. And I don't disagree. Yeah, I, I equate it to um, how do I put it? What's the st- uh, putting insurance on bets? Uh, at a at a game at a at a blackjack table or something like that, like you can always put down like a little bit and you can like opt out or like whatever. Yeah. That's sort of what trailer watching in that particular thing is for me. Yeah, I gotta be honest. I think everything for Endgame looks great. Yeah, I, I go. I stand on my statement. If Endgame doesn't deliver the ending, the whole house of cards comes tumbling down. It's not even that though. It's not. It's it's just that I think you you know it's that thing where. If the you're you're you have more opportunity to be in the movie as opposed to I'm be okay like, anyway. like to be connecting pieces. I get what you're saying, yeah. and I don't disagree. But I I'm straight up telling you, I'm gonna be in it anyway. Yeah, I, I get that. Anyway, look, look here's uh, just before we go out. This is the 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 in in the past I have been much harsher about superhero movies in particular and and these kinds of movies. Um, and I think <laughs> maybe I've just been beaten down to the point where I've just got <laughs> other. You know what I think I've, has been cool is that I haven't my personally been inundated with superhero films. I haven't watched Aquaman. I haven't watched Captain Marvel. Uh, this is the first one I've seen in a while. Uh, and and I thought uh, Spider Man was great. Uh, Into the Spider Verse was great. Um, but but there was there was a sort of an argument that I I felt that I was trying to make about all of those films, which was, which had to do with the the same sameness of it all, um, and 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 I have to admit I think uh, Shazam is a little bit same samey, but it's not offensively it's it's not it's nowhere near offensively bad or anything like that, and it's not so same samey that I'm kind of like drawn away from it. But there was an interesting article that uh, has been shared around this week that I thought was really interesting. Uh, it's called On Flooding, Drowning in the Culture of Sameness. Um, <laughs> and it's written by uh, Soraya Roberts, uh, who's a columnist uh, at Long Reads. Um, it's a really terrific article. You should, you should uh, hunt it down. Um, it makes sort of a compelling argument for basically the idea that the diversity of choice that we think we're being offered by, you know, Netflix, Amazon, going to the movies and all that sort of thing is ultimately uh, coming down to it's, it, it's much less choice than we think it is uh, because, because our choices are being um, 
programmed algorithmically, uh, and that is a and and basically the the programming there is oh you like this thing therefore you will like this thing as opposed to trying to find a diversity of of material. And there's one quote from this article that I think um, is interesting. Uh, we are increasingly consuming the same books, the same movies, the same shows. In a Human's Guide to Machine Intelligence, Kartik Hosanga reports that a third of the product choices at Amazon are driven by algorithms, while at Netflix it's around 80%, which makes sense if you've ever actually tried to search for any literally anything on that platform. Um, these algorithms are taste reflectors, which means they don't affect the way uh, taste the way critics do, but simply reinforce your palate. There's little discovery here. And how much of this discovery can be really, really had when the same critics occupying the same space? What starts out optimistically, i.e. Black Panther's success proving a viability of a superhero with a not entirely white cast and a future of more inclusive storytelling, becomes a reshuffle of the same ideas, more diversity and more superhero in superhero movies, more movies with Chadwick Boseman, and more movies by Ryan Coogler, instead of actually systemic shifts towards a more varied storytelling by more varied storytellers. Uh, uh, Yes, 100%. But that's how it's always been. This is just like almost like a a weaponized version of that. Because like, look, people forever, like uh, films have sort of done this forever. Jurassic Park was a huge hit, so you get a bunch of like things that are sort of similar. You know, like they always go for the star or the theme or the style and they redo it. That's what they've done forever. Yeah, no, I I totally agree with you. I think what the the reason I point out this article and I reason the, I point out this point is that I think our role as cultural commentators is to is to discuss that idea and to and to bring it up when we get confronted with a piece of with a piece of media that is ultimately you know, like while I didn't dislike Shazam, there's sort of little it's a you know like it, it's very hard for me to get excited or to tell people excitedly to go see it. Sure. You know what I mean? I got that. And and the, the other reason I sort of I brought this up is that the other night, for the first time uh, in a while, uh, I rewatched Mad Max Fury Road, ah. which was, uh, you know, which in itself is the fourth in a fourth uh, sequel in yep. a franchise. But the, the question that I kind of wondered as I watched Mad Max Fury Road was like, man, this movie was such a shot in the arm. Uh, you know, such a sort of incredible, you know, just piece of storytelling, so muscular, so so energetic, so lively. And I was like, what films have come out since 2015 that feel like this? And I kind of wondered about that question. And I, and I wondered about, like, where, you know, like, how films should give us a charge to the the sense to one up each other, and I and I just wondered where where that had been. And and again, I'm not leveling the entire cultural commentary about filmmaking as a societal normality at Shazam. You know, like Shazam is Shazam. I'm just saying it's an interesting thing for us to have a conversation about around this movie. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny. I think. Um, as far as sort of like people trying to one up or do similar things, I think something like Mad Max Fury Road is such a difficult film to pull off yeah. that I feel like that's probably why. Like, it's easier to pull off a competent superhero film in this day and age based on all of the data that we have, like that you just said, than it would be to pull off a Mad Max esque film that had the same emotional relevance or popularity like it's just it's it's like superhero stuff is a little bit low hanger low hanging fruit right yeah and it's just and again it's not this is not leveled at superhero no but it's it's, it's easy it's an easier trope to be successful at than a mad max would be it's just that when i watched mad max i was like oh my god every moment in this film is so vital Mm -hmm. it's such a like a, a it's such a rush of Pure cinematic filmmaking, and then going back to your uh, your uh, algorithm uh, stuff about Netflix and all that jazz. Something that they're doing interestingly, and I bet you uh, dollars to donuts that uh, they are one hundred percent doing this. Have you watched any of Love, Death, and Robots? Yes, I've seen the idea that they they that they're giving you different uh, episode sequencing, orders, yes, sequencing orders, and I don't think it's random. I think I think they look at your preference. I bet you they have like different stats for every episode. Is it whimsy? Is it violence? Is it yeah. sexuality? Is it whatever? And they look at your history, and I guarantee you that the first one that they show you has something to do with what you've watched before. You know, one thing we never talked about with Bandersnatch um, was, I guess, the Nietzschean uh, quote, which is that when you stare into the abyss, the abyss stares back, is the fact that um, what's important about Bandersnatch isn't the choices you make. It's about the the collective data that Netflix is gathering based on the choices you make. So what Netflix is ca- collecting there isn't just 
oh, you know, the story went in this direction. It's like, what does this person, what, what are they likely to do in this scenario? Are you saying the void is us? Uh, I'm saying the void is watching us back. Right, but the void is also us. Yeah, and, and, and you know, we, if there's anything to be leveled at this conversation about consumerism, superheroes, uh, you know, fatigue, same-sameness, and all that sort of stuff, it has to be leveled at us, which is that we still consume it. We still, you know, get mildly, you know, we still buy it. Um, and that is the world we live in. You know, like it is. And I, I personally don't have a problem with it as long as we acknowledge it and we do see other things when we want to. And with that in mind, I am gonna. Uh, I am making uh, it difficult for our listeners next week. Uh, oh yeah, yeah talk about this before we say goodbye. I'm, I'm gonna make it difficult for our listeners this week, but it is in the spirit of the conversation that we're having right now that I really wanted to push us to do this. Is that uh, Terry Gilliam's new film, The Man Who Killed Don Quixote, is playing for one night <laughs> and one night only in New York City and and I think uh, around the country around the United States and that is the film we're going to review so we're going to ultimately review a film that I know most of our listeners probably won't have gotten to or gotten a chance to go see you better order us tickets like now because I don't you think it won't sell out if it's one showing in New York it's going to sell out that's true that's true but 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 the point there is that <laughs> I want us even if that film is going to be bad which I've heard by all accounts it's not very good I want the challenge of going to see something that you can't get anywhere else. I want the challenge of like of of going to something which only exists for a small moment in time. You heard it here first. Jahir wants to do an episode where you can't see the movie, but you can hear us talk about it uh, next week. Fine. Anyway, <laughs> uh, I hope that's true. Get after this. Get, let's look at tickets because I don't want to promise people things and then not be able to do that's it. True. As soon as I do it, it's like it's sold out. I was like yeah, look. yeah. <laughs> anyway, this has been the only podcast about the film. Shazam! Further uh, away, further away. I'm not running again. Shahir, when you are not, um, uh, I guess, uh, acquiring a wizard staff for yourself, where can folks find you? You can touch my staff at my website, www.shahirdaudshahirdad.com. Uh, Matt, when you are not, uh, you're actually wearing the Shazam colors right now, the sort of red, uh, and you're kind of, you know, you're looking a little swole, so uh, when you are not... Uh, <laughs> Uh, basically metamorphosizing your 14-year-old brain into your adult body, where can people find you? You can find all of my Arrested Development at M-A-T-T-H-E-W-K-R-O-L.com for my life and works. Also, Skeletor, the number four, P-R-E-Z, on Instagram, and Emperor M-S-K on Twitter. People have told me to slow that down because they can't understand it when I say <laughs> it fast. Um, and that's true because I talk way too quick. Um, also, check out uh, all of the good works we're doing over at Extra Credits. I believe by the time this launches, we'll have got into on extra history the siege of vienna yep. um and also uh we're doing we just had our april fools episode uh for extra credits uh for games you might not have tried please please look at that uh episode it was so much fun to make and uh it was super fun and there's a funny little song at the end uh anyway yeah, I guess next week uh, we'll be fighting windmills. If if you order the ticket, are you doing I, it now? I'm doing it what, right now. Tell me, show, the keep. We're gonna keep going until the tickets are ordered. Okay, okay. So I'm just logging into my Fandango. log into the Fandango. Uh, also, if you'd like to get in touch with us, if you've seen Shazam or you want to touch base with us on any of the topics that we've discussed in this episode, please email us in at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com or tweet at us at onlymoviepod. Also, iTunes reviews. We need them. <laughs> uh, we we thirst for them like the seven deadly sins thirst for the power of Shazam. And uh, I, I guess in this case we would be gluttony, or we'd want to be. We'd want no uh, greed. We'd be a combo of greed and gluttony for your stars. So if you could give us as many as you could spare, five being the best, uh, we would absolutely appreciate it. What do we got you here? We got two tickets to see the man who killed Don Quixote. Bam! Yeah! All right, so now you know it's official. I'm glad you were here for that emotional journey of my stalling and Shahir ordering tickets. Uh, yeah, so with that in mind, we'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.